0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Active Optimist podcast. This is Arena, your host, the Active Optimist. With everything I do, I want you to believe that you don't have to be depressed forever. I truly believe that depression is the ultimate cry for help, not for happiness, but for connection back to ourselves and what truly matters. I'm here each week to support you, bring community, and give you daily actions to address the social, psychological, and biological causes of depression so that you can step into the life you know you're meant to lead. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so thankful that you took the time out of your day to reflect about your mental health and take the time to reflect about what is exacerbating or adding to your depression And ways that we can change that in our lives to support whatever other things that we're doing to recover and to deal with depression, basically. This week's episode, I'm really excited because it's going to be a series, part of a series about reconnections or a different type of antidepressant, creating connection to meaningful things, which are like people, the world, your body, values, work and purpose, and a bunch of other stuff which I think will be very useful and important to think about when we're creating an antidepressant life. So let's get into this week's episode, which is the first one about how to feel connection. So overcoming our addiction to ourselves and our tendency to just look inward and find power in sympathetic joy. When I talk about addiction to ourselves, I'm talking about us turning inward And really getting bitter about our life circumstances and what is happening to us and what we feel inside. Many of us are angry or envious at the world, often understandably so, but unfortunately this does get in the way of our mental health and just feeling like a good, alive person. And everyone can feel this way at some point, just walking around and just feeling angry at the world, especially on social media with preferences and the algorithm, that the intensity of why we should be angry at the world or why we should be envious of the world gets stronger and stronger. But fortunately for us, or unfortunately, we have to practice to rise above depressive thinking, which includes this because part of depression is the practice of finding evidence to our failings or lack. We all know that we are our own worst critic, as we often see ourselves as defective and inadequate. And this is a hallmark trait of depression, a hallmark experience of depression, you could say. And oftentimes we go down the rabbit hole of thinking that we deserve unhappiness because of our flaws. And at worst that our misery is self-righteous, that we feel entitled to it, that the idea that, oh, I've suffered A lot in my life and if anyone has something to feel sorry about, it's me. And this just is further evidence about how awful and how much misery I have and what do you expect. And my feelings of depression are right. This is different than accepting your depression. This is more there's a self-righteousness in it that depression is safe and comfortable and even though I'm lonely, I'll still stay depressed I'll still be in this because I am self-righteous with all my grievances against the world. And using the grievances that we have against the world as an excuse to not do anything. Because of the end of the day, it is a little off topic, but at the end of the day, we either grow or we just rot away. And if we decide to just stay with our depression because we have rightful grievances against the world, that we have rightful reasons to believe that everyone hates us, we're just gonna rot away. And there's no such thing as just staying stagnant. Stagnant is basically death. Not to be dramatic. But anyway, um, as depressed people, we often interpret the outside world demands as impossible and often only see our failures in our attempts to meet those demands when other people don't. When other people may see there may be a little success in failure or they see that, oh, I learned something out of this failure. So there's a positive that actually came out of that. We often just only see the failures in our attempts. And this shouldn't be placed only on depression. I really think that our culture primes us and cultivates this obsession with self. We live in, in a very individualistic society and it can be argued that societies that focus on individualism meaning focus on individual rights and wants often turn into materialistic societies with single-minded people striving towards the top and we're always comparing ourselves to the next person to see who's best who has the most car who has the prettiest clothes who has the coolest hair, who has the coolest sneakers, who goes to a better college, which college has the best parties, all these things. And it's perpetuated by social media. So I don't want to say that it's only depression speaking, because I do think a lot of it, if not all of it, is our culture priming us to think this way. And then when we become depressed and we get into depression, it's just, it just takes us over. And that's how we think. And in this thinking, we're always fighting for more and more more. In what some people would call a scarcity mindset, fighting over scarce resources, even if it can be illogical, like who's happiest? Oh, she's the happiest. There's no limit to happiness or there's no limit to intelligence, but we still have that mindset that, oh, if she's smarter than me, then she's taking something away from me. And with this obsession with the self, We've really just learned to curate and market our own lives as if we're trying to sell the idea about how awesome we are and how we are doing the best. And when you're depressed and see yourself as a failure or see failures more frequently than successes, that just becomes a downward spiral in thinking about how you're failing and how other people are taking from you and how other people are doing better than you. And it's just this feeling of lack of being a failure on steroids. And a lot of us, I think, walk around just unconscious about this and unconscious that we're always comparing ourselves and competing in this zero-sum game society that we're in. But unfortunately, as someone who's fighting depression, we have to be really aware and mindful of this so we can rise above this thinking and the habits that perpetuate depression. And be really aware of When we find self-fulfilling data points that we're unworthy, that we're failing, and all these negative thoughts that we have about ourselves when we're depressed, we have to take inventory of the relationships that we have. Does this serve me? And this is hard, but it's important to, you know, choose what's best for you. Envy is the practice of comparison and bringing other people down or knocking them to make us feel better. And if we're surrounded by people who are obsessed with obtaining wealth, material possessions, and reputations, that's going to rub off on us. And also, often that comes with the inability to bear the good fortunes and achievements of others, which I think is really, really toxic, and what we will specifically be fighting against with mindfulness and sympathetic joy. And all these values, all these junk values, leave us feeling less connected than before, are the ones that i think add and exacerbate depression they end up making us feel worse than we are the pursuit of external sources of wealth meaning financial success social image and fame is not intrinsically bad i don't think it's bad to want those things however they do not directly fulfill the intrinsic need for social affiliation and communal feelings So when we get this mixed up, that's when it becomes detrimental to us. It's when the basic human need to belong somewhere, to have some meaning, to have a community is taken and put into what our Instagram feed looks like, or what our shoes are like, or what our hair is, or what car we drive. That's when the line is crossed. And I really, really think that our culture for the long, long time, it's not even now with social media, but for a long, long time has been telling us that all these things will fulfill these basic human needs of belonging, of meaning, of communal feeling that are not present or not built into our society right now. We're just being constantly sold these things just so we can feel worthy of love, that we have a purpose, that we have meaning in the world, that someone is looking at us and someone cares about us. But at the end of the day, we all know that that isn't true. And these two things I think really contribute to depression. The bad values that we have in terms of materialism, in terms of the zero-sum thinking that our society has, and the scarcity mindset, as well as the self-incrimination and the obsession with ourselves and the turning inwards of our mind really contribute to depression. And are things that we actually need to consciously fight against so that we can break these chains, basically, that these ideologies and thoughts and cultural patterns have put on us. And I think are contributing to the actual epidemic of depression. So in overcoming these things, I want to look at meditation and mindfulness, I know that we are more often than not skeptical about this and I for one have been but recently I've been convinced and I've been testing out and it seems pretty good so I just want to share with you and hopefully we'll all get on this bandwagon and become great mindful people. So particularly meditation is something that I've been skeptical of. My mom practices it and she really introduced me to it but For the longest, longest time, I was adamantly against it for some reason, and I brushed it off. I don't even know the reason. There wasn't a good reason. It was just more like, why are you sitting in a room trying to think about things? And it was the one of the last tools that I learned to live an antidepressant life, although it is one of the first things that people recommend you when trying to recover from depression that's non-medical or medicating. There's a ton, a ton of research about this, about how meditation literally can change the brain and the brain wiring and literally like give CPR to the brain and kind of help it come back to life, which is crazy. So after I learned all of that, that's when I got on it. So meditation does actually change the brain physically. Basically, with every study, participants were either enrolled in a meditation practice, traditional therapy or nothing at all. And consistently, the meditation students had the most positive effect. They had a really positive effect on emotional processing, meaning the participants felt that they could process emotions better and had a more positive experience doing so. For example, it decreased the brain and the person's reactivity after stressors. So they would be stressed and they would be able to come back to a more neutral, stable state or whatever state they were in before quicker and had less activity in their brains, so essentially for us that suggests that maybe it helps with rumination or cutting rumination shorter or when we're stressed, it doesn't knock us off for a whole week for a whole day and just lets you able to more like bounce back quicker and b they found it less difficult to regulate emotions which we all need, especially regulate negative emotions. I think it's important because oftentimes when we are depressed, we feel a lot of things, but we shut them down or we feel a lot of things and we let the negatives rise to the top and just forget how to feel the positives. So just bringing that back to balance is probably really good for us. And then last but not least, it improved positive mood states and lowered the intensity of negative mood states, which is like the crowning jewel for meditation. I think that reason should be we should all be signing up for this. But yeah, so it improved positive mood states, meaning that positive mood states kind of rose to the top and that we were able to feel them more versus negative mood states lower the intensity of it. So for us depressives, maybe that may mean that it just feels less overwhelming and our positive mood states are maybe able to grow and flex our muscles a little bit more. So we get more to that balance of a non-depressed person. But essentially Meditation has been researched a lot and has shown that after a specific amount of training, most of them were a week or a month, or some were longer, that the participants had significant changes in how they felt, but also how their brain looked. Their brain was more calm. The default mode network, which is the network that is in charge of our neutral state, our state when we're not doing anything. But also has rumination in it and internal thinking and self criticism when we're not doing stuff. The activity in that network decreased when it was supposed to turn off. And it changed the brain physically. Neuroplasticity, as we know, is the brain's ability to change itself and grow new things and prune old things and just change and adapt to whatever it needs to. That changed to be more like a non depressed person. And further away from a depressed person's. So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that it physically changed their brain and the participants were actually able to feel that change. That's what got me on the wave and maybe hopefully will spark some interest in you. Maybe doing like a week or two week meditation challenge would be cool to have. I know based on my experience and based on other people's experience, it does take a while to figure out how to meditate because when you first do it for the first week or so or maybe even longer you feel really stupid and dumb and that you're not doing it right and you just start criticizing yourself and I learned that that's pretty much the rite of passage to meditation that whole battle I guess against yourself of feeling stupid of feeling like you're the only one that's not doing this right, of looking around if you're doing it in a group, looking around and everyone seems to be meditating perfectly and you're not. So if you are curious, just know that it is hard in the beginning, but it gets easier and easier as you do it. And it's more of a long haul thing than a short term thing. But the results are invaluable, I think, for depressives. So I want to introduce you to sympathetic joy as an antidote to envy to the obsession with ourselves and sympathetic joy is a meditation practice which is the third of the four buddhist heart practices and is called madita if i'm pronouncing that right and it's the practice of experiencing joy of others ourselves without any ill thought which which in simple terms is practicing feeling happy for other people without feeling that we have to look for something that will make them less happy or just any, any ill thought. And when I heard about this, I found it very powerful because you have the opportunity to cultivate a skill in which you can get into a state of joy at any time that you desire. Like that's crazy. And even better is that it's not attached to what's happening to you. So you could be having the worst day in the whole entire world. Your car could have broke down. I don't know. You had the worst day in the world, but we can cultivate the skill that we can find some happiness at any moment with the practice of sympathetic joy. That I think that's really the power in it is that we can actually have control over our positive states. When we feel like we never experience happiness, that we never experience joy, that we never just experience gratitude, we can actually practice feeling it for other people, which subsequently means that we feel it ourselves. And also, this doesn't mean that, oh, because I can't be happy, that means that I have to vicariously live through someone else. It's not a this or that situation. You can be happy for someone else and have the capacity to be happy for yourself or have joy and practice it through other people. So don't think that this is a sign of weakness because you can't feel happy. So you have to piggyback on other people. This is not what it is for because it is. A practice for yourself. We're doing this to rise above our depression and to rise above our self obsession. This is an act of self-care. This is not a weakness. It's an act and a practice that a lot of people don't know. So you do have this superpower of having the opportunity to get into a state of happiness, to get the state of gratitude, of joy at any moment and have control over your emotions and what you're feeling and hopefully maybe break a downward spiral that you may be experiencing and just get you to that next place where you're able to be neutral or rise above or change your thinking or just reset. So let me explain what sympathetic joy is more specifically in terms of practice. As all meditation is, it's easy to say but it's hard to do. So when you start the sympathetic joy practice you bring to mind someone in your life that falls under the category of a good friend. This can be a loved one, a family member, a friend, maybe a teacher, or just someone that you care about. And the point is to find someone that is naturally easy to care for and appreciate. So you don't want to choose someone that you recently had a disagreement for, even though we will get there. So as this person comes to mind, see if you can picture Them experiencing happiness, maybe you know a time recently in which they experienced some joy. If not, try to picture the person smiling with contentment or just experiencing something that you know they like, and practice feeling joy for them. Try to feel the joy that they're feeling. Feel the smile on your face. Feel the, you know, the tingles up their spine or whatever. Um, feel their laughter maybe if. Just feel their joy, feel their happiness, try to reach for it, try to feel that energy and try to feel happy for them and just embody that happiness that they have in. And that's essentially the practice. And when you get really good, you can practice with someone that you don't love or that you don't know. So, you know, the random person that you saw walking on the street, you could picture their happiness or your classmate picture them being really happy and try to feel that joy in yourself and then last but not least you can obviously do this with people that you had conflict with recently or some ill will with but obviously that's a practice and i don't expect anyone to be doing that on the first time unless you are saintly this is a meditative practice obviously we can do it as a mindfulness practice in our daily life Just first being mindful of joy as it arises. And it doesn't have to be someone you know well or close to. But when you see someone smiling at work or while you're getting your coffee in the morning or on the bus or on the subway, take a moment to really appreciate the joy. Take a moment to soak it in, to actually make note of it. Because a lot of us honestly don't make note of it or avoid it, which is even worse. We put our head down or roll our eyes like, look at this crazy person. And if you can offer a few phrases silently in your head, that would be amazing. Just wishing them joy, feeling their joy, feeling their happiness, bringing the happiness onto yourself. And by continuing to show up for joy, you are training the mind and the heart to rest in appreciation. And this is the practice that I found helpful in the cultivation of sympathetic joy in daily life. And it's just a simple practice of pausing and preaching the joy you experience personally, of course. But regardless of how you do it, it is important to be mindful about what's happening, your reactions, your emotions, when trying to recover from depression. It is a practice to rise above depressive feeling. And even if the thinking doesn't seem depressive, like self-thinking or self obsession or just comparing ourselves, because that's what all people do even when they're not depressed this can actually be attributing or keeping our depression's wheels going fanning the flame of depression basically so yeah so that's the end of today's episode i hope you found it helpful let me know if you have any questions about meditation or mindfulness or sympathetic joy i'm really excited to get into Other types of reconnection that we can make, because at the end of the day, that's what we're really trying to do. That's what I really believe is the safety net for us all that we have to build. The safety net of connection can keep us from falling into a really deep, depressive episode later on in life or now. So in a perfect world, this would obviously be built into our society. So we wouldn't have these deep, depressive episodes that we would have a community to catch us, and we would teach these stuff to little kids in school. But we're not in that place, so we have to learn it now and put it into our individual lives, and hopefully, little by little, we'll make a bigger change in our communities, in our towns, and in our world in general. So the action of the week is quite simple. Just to drink a glass of water right now and take a really deep breath into your belly, not into your chest, but into your belly, Really just feel your body expand and let it go. So that's just the action of the week. I just wanted to give us some time to pause. And then, of course, I do encourage you to maybe think about trying to meditate for two weeks or a week or so and see what happens and see what you feel and let me know because I always want to know. And it's really exciting for me when I hear you guys reach out to me. It just really lights me up and gives me a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning, a lot of connection and love towards you guys. Oh, and also we do have a questions and experiences form, which will be linked in the show notes. So I set up a little form where you can put your questions or your experiences that you want to share, share it on the show or anything. You have the choice to do that anonymously or not. So Hopefully you'll find that helpful. If you don't want to say your name, that's fine. Or make up a fake name. I don't care. So yeah. Um, So yeah, that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here, keeping going, taking this time to really think about your mental health, think about mindfulness, just reflect on your life and what you're thinking. This is super, super healthy. And I am so glad that you're taking that step. And it just shows about how resilient you are and that you can truly get to a point where you're living fully alive, fully present, and just taking in all of what life has to offer. So yeah, I just want to tell you that and keep going. You're needed. You have a purpose. You matter. And yeah, so I'll talk to you guys next Tuesday on the podcast. Ciao